Isaiah 46.10 is where we'll begin today. I have been doing a series the last few weeks called God Is, telling you what God is like. People view God in many different ways um, across the spectrum. They create God in their own image, but the Bible is very clear to us about what God is like, His character, His attributes, His nature, how He relates to human beings. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked to you about the fact that God is merciful, His dominant characteristic. But for those that reject His mercy, last week we talked about God is a just judge. So He would prefer to give mercy, but if we reject Him, we'll stand before Him as a just judge. Today, I want to talk about, uh, I've entitled the message, God is in control. Can you say that with me? God is in control. He's in control ultimately of the world and individually in my own life. Isaiah 46.10 says this, God speaking, only I can tell you the future before it happens. And God doesn't need a Ouija board or a crystal ball to be able to do that. God sees the future as if it's today. Only I can tell the future. Everything I plan will come to pass which tells me that God's purposes will be accomplished in my life unless I resist them. God's will will be worked out in my life and no man can stop them. They can hinder them. Some missionaries have literally been shot in, uh, in the head, left for dead, but God supernaturally raised them up. They go back to the field because their life is not done. The scripture says, God says, I'll do whatever I wish. And there's theological terms that describe God. God being un omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Uh, uh, God is all-knowing, which mean he, means He's omniscient. He knows everything that goes on. The Bible says He knows the thoughts that we think. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head. Uh, he's had more brain space watching me over the years. <laughs> you too, probably. But it also says He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, but He is omnipresent, which means He is present everywhere all the time. I cannot explain it to you, but somehow God can know what goes on in my head. He knows what's going on in this room. He knows what's going on in our relationships, in our bedroom, when we drive down the car and we're at work. Now, how many know for the Christian that's a good thing? Because God is watching over us. Now, He's in ultimate control in the world. Now, let me suggest something to you that will help you understand life. There are three, and I would suggest only three, dominant forces in the world the first is the will of God. It is what God initiates. It includes the processes and laws whereby the universe operates. It is the will of God. Number two, it is, it is evil, the force of evil. It is the, 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 the power behind evil. And number three, it is the will of man. And any situation you look at that's going on, those three forces and those three alone are coming to bear. If you see a crisis, for example, uh, Acts chapter 12, uh, James, one of the leaders of the early church, in one verse with no explanation, Herod arrests him and he's beheaded. But in the very next verse, Peter is arrested, he's in prison, and one of the most remarkable miracles in the Bible, an angel lets Peter go. So why did James die and why was Peter released? Listen, evil was involved in the, both of their arrests. Evil took James to his grave, but God had more for Peter to do. Come on, more for him to do, and God's will kind of pushed it forwards down the road. But if you're troubled with evil, and it's confusing sometimes, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Why does a good God, if you want to blame somebody, blame Adam and Eve, because they opened this door when Satan said, I'll give you something good, but he didn't tell them that it had to stick to it. 
but God is ultimately behind it, and God will ultimately accomplish His purposes on the earth. Now, there's a word that we use. It's called sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is the highest authority in the universe. God is higher than the United Nations Council. He is higher than the officers of the World Bank. He is higher than the President of the United States. He has more power than the United States Supreme Court. God is the ultimate sovereign one. And it's almost as if when we see, when we see, for example, our courts make decisions that are against the clear teachings of Scripture, it's as if God has these men and women on a leash. And I have a dog, and I've got one of these little clip-on little things you walk them with. It's got a button where you can give them more or less. Well, when God pushes the button, He can jerk every one of them back. I mean, you know, God is the one that's in control. It seems as if man is. As you listen to the tragedies around the world, Christian persecution, for some reason, God is allowing evil to have its way. But ultimately, He will have the final say. He has the power to act as He chooses, whenever He chooses. And he is in ultimate control. The psalmist says it this way, the Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever he pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. So with that background, let me talk to you this morning. Uh, I've entitled the message, God is in control. It is not just an abstract message to, to, to look at the peoples around the world and the nations of the world, but it is about your life. It's about my life. It's the fact that as I submit myself to God's will, God is in control and no man can stop me. Come on, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much power they have, if God has a purpose for me and I am saying yes to God, no one can stop that purpose from coming to pass. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody. So... Let me, let me read you half a dozen scriptures first, again, about God's sovereignty over everything. Daniel said this. Daniel said, God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. Job said, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. No king, no, 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 no military authority, no civil authority. No one can stop God. The chronicler said, he prayed, O oh Lord, you alone are the God who is in heaven. This is Jehoshaphat's prayer. You alone are God in heaven. You are ruler over all the kingdoms of the earth. God is ultimately the ruler over North Korea, even though Kim Jong-il appears to be in charge. God is the ruler over Russia and her expanding empire, even though Putin would, would take over the Ukraine and try to restore the old Soviet Union. God is ultimately in control. Proverbs 21, verse 1, The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as it pleases. Which says that God can put into the mind of President Obama, a Supreme Court Justice, Governor Perry, God can direct them as he sees fit. And how many know just because a, a civil government may be going in a direction that is against God's will, maybe be causing problems in the lives of believers, how many know God will use that for a purpose? And one big thing about the message today is I want you to see how God used what some people intend for evil and God turns it around for good because He has a, a purpose He's going to accomplish. Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the... The Lord determines our steps. Uh, the Hebrews have a name in Hebrew for God, many names, that, and, and the different names of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, El Shaddai, they represented aspects of His nature and character. This particular name, El Shaddai, it means God Almighty. 
And you will often see the word, the phrase, God Almighty in your Bible. What it means is God is the all-powerful one. Whenever you read it, He is totally self-sufficient. He is the absolute ruler. And He is the one who has the final say in all matters. So how many know if you're one of God's kids, no matter what you're going through or who is standing against you, your Heavenly Father has the absolute say. And even if it doesn't go the way you want it to go, how many know God can turn things somehow around for good because God is watching out for me? Well, let me illustrate that. That's just kind of in some ways you can say, well, that's just kind of big preacher. That's kind of abstract. I mean, you know, maybe it happens for some people. Let me illustrate it very clearly in the Bible. Let me show you through the life of a man named Joseph. We just read in our Bible, God. I hope you're reading with me. We're reading Exodus now. We just read Joseph's story, and it's one of the most incredible stories in the Bible because very clearly you can see how God orchestrates the affairs of this earth to ultimately accomplish his purpose. Genesis chapter 45. Now, in this part of the story, Joseph is in his mid, early mid-30s. Joseph, at this reading of the story, if you just turned in here, he's the vice president of Egypt. Now, he's a Jewish man. He started out as a slave, but God supernaturally promoted him. He's the vice president of Egypt, and he is feeding the whole world in a famine. And the most unlikely group walk up to him, and it's his brothers. I want you to think about this. If somebody, um, honest question now, uh, how many can think back uh, more than five years of somebody that owes you money? Let me see your hand here. Uh, let's go for 10 years. Uh, 20 years? Yeah, I'm in the 20 category. I know somebody that owes me $1,500 20 years ago, and it's okay. But there's some things that stick out. That when somebody does you wrong, come on, when they hurt you, when they lie to you, when they beat you up, there's just something inside that says, sooner or later I'm going to get you because what goes around... Yeah. But in this case, Joseph's brothers now, years ago when he was a little 17-year-old boy and daddy's favorite, his brothers got mad at him when they were out in the wilderness one day, threw him in a pit to kill him, and then some, some slave traders accidentally or luckily came by... So they said, let's not kill him, let's just sell him and we'll get some money too. So that's the way Joseph got to Egypt. And now the tables are turned and they're standing before their brother Joseph. And let me see, see what happens. Uh, Genesis 45 verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, mind you, he's got on all the clothing and the garb of the Egyptian people. He is the man. He's on a throne. Don't you know their knees were shaking just a bit? Because don't you know, and you can read the story, and they even say after their daddy dies, they remember the wrong that they did to their brother. But notice what happens now. Look at verse 5. Now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He didn't forget either. Because it was to save lives that... Now, isn't that interesting? Because didn't they know and didn't Joseph know that their brothers threw him in a pit? But now, Joseph, 20 years later, is able to see the sovereign hand of God, the all-powerful God, the almighty God, the one that controls the affairs of men, and that God is gonna, had brought him to Egypt. You know, now, look, if, I, if God was going to bring me to Egypt, I'd prefer a camel ride. I mean, I, the, the idea of going through a pit and then a prison is not my idea of how to get to Egypt. But God used this evil act. And here's what you need to see. Evil is not ultimately triumphant. God is. Look at verse 6. For two years now there's been famine in the land. The next five, there's going to be more famine. 
But look at verse 7. Say it with me. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, say this with me. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Now think about that. God was the one that was able to, after 20 years of pain and confusion, the light came on to Joseph. Because before this time, he didn't know this was what was going to happen. But what God's plan was, is God was watching closely over the chosen race, the nation of Israel, because Jesus Christ the Messiah would be born from this Jewish people. And if he left them with the famine in Egypt, uh, I mean in the Middle East, they would die out there. But God made a way. Now, you may not like the way God does things, but God made a way to get them there, and then God allowed them to be turned into slaves, and later on, under Moses, God allowed them to supernaturally come out to the promised land, and hence we learn about the Passover lamb, and Jesus would be introduced as the lamb of God who takes over the sin of the world. So God has a plan. We've just got to figure it out and get behind it. Now, God used his jealous brother's evil act for good. And does that bring to mind Romans 8, 28? Romans 8 says we are pretty sure. No, it says we know, listen, that those who love God, how many love God? Yeah, here's the promise for you. We know that those who, who uh, uh, love God, all things are good. All things work together for good. It's not good when the jealous evil brother sells you to a slave trader. But God can turn that around into something good if you don't lose heart, you don't lose faith, and don't give up on God because God knows what He's doing. And you're just as important as Joseph. Don't ever think that your life is insignificant. Many of us, we look at our lives and we think like, well, I'm not doing anything. I mean, you know, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a preacher and I'm not a missionary and I don't have a lot of money to give. And I, Listen, you matter to God. And God was the one that placed you where you are in this life. God put you and inserted you in planet earth. And if you are living for God, listen, God has aligned your circle of influence. So don't ever compare yourself to anybody else. Just measure yourself to the you God wants you to be. But God will make all things work together for good because there is purpose. Now, let me, let me go back to Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, the father of the Jews. His jealous brothers throw him in a pit. The slave traders take him to Egypt. He's bought by a man named Potiphar, who happens to be Pharaoh's advisor. And Joseph could have got gripey and complaining and mad, but he didn't. He worked hard. He excelled. Potiphar saw the blessing on his life. He exalted him. And before you know it, Joseph is the overseer of his entire household. He's a wealthy man. Well, then Potiphar's wife had time on her hand. Joseph was cute, so she said, I think I want to sleep with that guy. She'd have made a great American. She could have been on our television today, you know. Been a great story. She said, I'll sleep with that guy. She tried to seduce him multiple times. He runs away. She gets feels scorned and mad, and then she says, rape, rape, rape. So her husband comes home, and Joseph acted good, but now he gets thrown in jail. And he's in jail for several years But you know what happens? He doesn't get bitter, angry, or mad. He's running the whole prison. See, there's grace on your life. Wherever you go as a Christian, whatever circumstances you're in, come on, there's grace and there can be favor. So he's in jail. Uh, 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 Two of Pharaoh's assistants, it was the baker and the cupbearer, they get thrown in jail. 
They have dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams. They happen just as he said, and lo and behold, they get out. One of them gets killed, one of them gets out, and he forgets all about Joseph. So now he's there several more years. But then, in the middle of the night, Pharaoh has two dreams. And he dreams about seven years of plenty and seven years of evil and famine. He didn't know what it means. And this cupbearer says, he has a kairos, he has a moment where he says, Oh, well, it was God saying, Hey, stupid, Joseph is in prison. And in a moment of time, God gets our hero out of prison. He stands before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. Pharaoh says, hey, you're way smarter than my Egyptians. He makes him vice president of Egypt. He gives him a good-looking lady for a wife. And this guy's life turns around on a dime. Then, after he raises all these crops, the famine comes. Then his brothers show up. So, Let's think about this whole story in the idea of God is in control. Now, God has a master plan for the human race. Hear me now. We're taught today in our school systems that evolution, we, we got here in an arbitrary fashion. There's no divine purpose for your life. Eat, drink, and be merry and have fun. Do it with whoever you want to. Just make sure it's consensual. We'll even develop a phone app for you so it's consensual. Our world is insane. God has purpose. He has a plan of redemption. God has been preparing a people since Adam and Eve's fall that will rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. We're going to be a part collectively of what's called the bride of Christ, those who are followers of the Lord. And his master plan is bringing it to pass. Now listen to this. If you're skeptical of the Bible, one of the most powerful ways to prove the Bible is when prophecies are fulfilled. Listen to this prophecy that was given by, to Abraham by God, 300 years before Joseph set foot in Egypt, uh, Genesis 15, 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, Egypt, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. Verse 14, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they'll come out with great possessions. Do you know how long that the, uh, from Joseph's day till Moses showed up? It was about 400 years. Come on now. And they went in there with nothing, and they came out, and all the Egyptians gave them their silver and gold, and they blessed them, and they pillaged them. How in the world could someone know what's going to happen 700 years down the road? Come on. I'll tell you, my friends. God is sovereign. God is almighty. God is all-knowing. And God knows the future from the past. Come on. And God will bring his purpose to pass. Now, let's go back to Joseph. Just a couple lessons. God's sovereignty is revealed in unexpected, even hard-to-understand ways. Let me say it again. God's master plan is sometimes hard to see. If you're a 17-year-old boy, Joseph, and your brothers throw you in a pit and sell you, and he's crying and screaming as they're dragging him to Egypt, it doesn't make sense. Genesis 37, 28, they drew Joseph up out of the pit. Well, they lifted him out of the pit, but they sold him to Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Well, that was just accidental. That was just the alignment of the stars. That was just the horoscope that was fulfilled for the day. No, dummy. That was the sovereign hand of God working all things for good. Come on. God taking the evil act of their brothers and somehow working it through Romans 8, 28 and letting good come out of it because God knew that they would need a man in Egypt one day and that's the way they got him there. Now, my life has, follows a similar pattern. My grandparents, as I've shared their story 
uh, were driven from the homeland of Latvia in World War II. Uh, World, uh, World War II was going on. Uh, the Russians were against them. Later, the Germans were against them. They end up in America. She lost two children conscripted in the German army. She, to this day, she never knew what happened to the, to the end of the day she died. Two of her kids, and you know what you love your kids. They just come and take them away. Well, when she was about, I guess, probably 85, I told her, I said, I felt God was calling me to be a Christian pastor. And tears came down this little godly woman's eyes. And she said, now I understand a little bit more about my journey because of what God's going to do in your life. And that doesn't mean that I'm somebody. But what it means is there's a God that can take bad and turn it into good. Come on. And redeem it for a kingdom purpose. And that same God works in you. Here's a second thing from Joseph. People may forsake me, but God will never leave me. I want you to hear this one. Genesis 40, verse 23, he's in the prison. He interprets the dream. He tells him to remember him, but the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Can I tell you, you'll be done wrong by people in this life. You'll be done wrong. A, a, a man will stand at the altar and he will say, he will be with you until death does you part. But what he meant to say was, I will be with you until I see someone that looks better in a bikini. That's what he did. We make vows on earth and we break our vows. And even sometimes we as Christians, come on, let people down, hurt them, break our word, whether it's intentional, whether it's purposeful. But I want to tell you, friend, the Bible says God will never do that. There's a promise to you and I in Hebrews 13, 5. God has said, I will, come on, say it with me. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Jesus said, I am always with you even until the end of the age. Now, I want to tell you, my friends, wherever you may be, I have friends that have been persecuted. I know Christian leaders who have, who have been uh, uh, persecuted for their Christian faith, shot in the head and left for dead in a jail cell. Come on, telling them, if you don't renounce Christ, we will kill you. Tell you, my friends, that's a lonely place because your mom's not there, your dad's not there, your iPod's not there, you don't have your iPhone. Come on, nobody else is there. But God is there. And I'm telling you, if you will keep your relationship alive with God every day, it's like you build a big fire at high times in your life. But it can go down to ashes and your spiritual life can get cold. You've got to keep putting wood on that fire. And if you will do that, friend, you will have an awareness of the presence of God that will be with you wherever you go in this life. Listen, because that's the nature of God. He'll never leave you. Yeah, let me give you one more. Uh, Genesis 41. Don't lose faith when life is confusing. Now stay with me on this one. When we read Joseph and see him in his glory, we clap our hands. But how many know the experience of a pit in a prison is confusing? Don't lose faith. Don't get bitter. I want to tell you, God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. When God's timing is right, come on, things will change. Now listen, Genesis 41 verse 14. There's something about the timing of God. You know, a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're described in the Gospels as people who were blameless and righteous. That's the best testimony you can give as, uh, as a believer. But they went all their lives and never had a baby. Uh, the very thing a woman wanted, the very thing that was promised in the Scripture, that God would bless their womb, but her womb was empty. 
But did you know, my friends, that at the right time, John the Baptist was born, come on, to a woman who was said to be too old to have a child. There's nothing too difficult for God, but there's something about God's time clock. Come on, as God is, as God is moving forwards towards this great culmination of time. Now, Genesis 41, verse 14, uh, Pharaoh has had these dreams. Now, mind you now, Joseph is in prison. Prison is a bad place. He's been there several years. He's been deliberately forgotten because he told them he wanted out. Now, have you ever had a pity party with God and gotten mad at God? Come on, any honest people here? Just kind of said, I'm not going to church and I'm not reading my Bible if that's the way you are. Joseph was a prime candidate, but listen to what happened. Now, he doesn't know this is going on. Pharaoh is having this dream and Joseph is in prison. Genesis 41, verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Did, did you see the movie, uh, made-for-TV movie, Joseph? Ah, it was a pretty powerful, very inspiring. In, in this particular picture, he's just this handsome guy, but he's a bit dirty. He's been living in prison. And all of a sudden, he's got his, you know, little kind of shorts on. And, and these guards bring him out. They don't say a word. He's scared he's going to get beaten. But before he knows it, he's got all these ladies giving him a bath. And all of a sudden, he starts smiling and he says, what's going on? And he says, Pharaoh is called for you. Well, that's exactly what's happened, friends. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, this is how I know he hung on to his faith. He said, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, look, if I know, if I'm going to be preaching on Saturday and Sunday, I know along about Tuesday, I've got to start praying. I've got to start seeking God. I've got to start studying so I'll be ready. Well, Joseph didn't have five days to get ready. Joseph was ready when he went to bed that night. Joseph still loved God, even though his life had fallen apart. Joseph didn't understand so much that was going on, but he just said, I'm going to love God anyway. And then when the moment came, he was ready, and he stepped into it. And the next thing he knows, they're putting rings on his fingers. He's in a chariot. He's married this good-looking woman, and he's made the vice president of Egypt. Come on now, because God will exalt us in his time. I'm preaching better than some of you are amening this morning. Now, let, let me kind of throw this in before I close. If God has a plan for my life, if God has a purpose for my life, how can I align my life each day so I make sure I'm in His purpose? Good question. I want to suggest to you that the purpose of God is like the current in a river. Now, I love to canoe. Well, how many know you can either have your canoe up on the bank and you can watch everything go by, but you can even be in the water but be in a little eddy and you can watch things go by, though you may drift a little bit with the wind. What you want to do is you want to paddle out to where the current is, and the current will take you where it wants you to go. And that is exactly how the Spirit of the Lord wants to do. But how do you get out to the current? I'll suggest this is a practical thing you can do every day. It is the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, when Jesus said, Pray like this, hallowed be your name. But then he said this, Your kingdom come, your will be done. And you could say it this way, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but especially here in me. Now, the word kingdom, how many know king, that's referring to the Lord Jesus. Dumb replies, it, it implies the, the place of his dominion. It is the dominion of the king. 
So what you want to do when you get out of bed, I do it every day when I get out of the bed and I, you know, I'm kind of coherent. I get in the shower and I say, Lord, good morning. Thank you for waking me up. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in me. I want to paddle out to the current this day. And you know exactly what you want to do in my life this day for your purpose. And I say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in John Miller's life. Let your will be done in my church family's life. Let your will be done in my kid's life. We are endeavoring to line ourselves up with purpose, friend. And how many know God will take people like that and use them in a really big way? Yeah. Let me, let, let me close, and then we're going to close with prayer. Uh, Pastor Mike shared this scripture, unbeknownst to me, uh, earlier. And let me make this statement to you. Choose to trust God when life doesn't make sense. Because I fully know that some of you are in a place where I have been before. Some of you today feel like you're in prison. Some of you today feel like you're in a pit. Some of you today are scratching your head saying, Where in the world is God? Here's this scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just part of it, but all of it. Don't try to figure it out in your own understanding. But if you'll submit yourself to Him, the promise is He'll direct your steps. Now let me illustrate this through a true story. We're back in Egypt, and it's been 300 years since Joseph was on the scene. When Joseph and the Israelites came into Egypt, they were welcomed as, as heroes. Joseph was the one that was feeding the whole world. And they gave him a favored place to live. It was called Goshen. But over time, Israel began to be so blessed. There's somewhere between 600,000, maybe a million of them. And uh, Pharaoh gets real concerned. You see, it's not a good Pharaoh. Now it's an evil Pharaoh. And he's had these Israelites making bricks and building great temples for him and pyramids and all these different things. Well, lo and behold, though, uh, Pharaoh is concerned that, that if there's a war, that these Israelites would attack the Egyptians and win because they're so prosperous. So what he does is he tells the midwives, every time an Israelite woman has a male child, you kill that baby before it lives. Now... Every person in this room knows the joy of a child. You know what it's like to hold that little baby? One of the first things that mom looks for as she's gone through her labor is she wants the doctor to put that baby on her chest and hold that little baby. Can you imagine being pregnant for nine months knowing that if you had a baby boy, you're, you wouldn't get to hold your child. They would take that child from your womb and they would kill your baby. They'd suffocate it, put it in water, whatever. Well, she went these nine months, she had a baby and it was a boy, but somehow these midwives didn't kill this child. Somehow she kept this little baby. She knew this was a special child, the Bible says. And this baby she kept in her home for several months, but this baby soon began to do what babies do. You know, they, you, they sleep at first a lot. They'll cry. You put something in their mouth, and they're back to sleep. But after a while, they get a little noisy, and she realizes, I can't keep this baby at home, or we could both be killed. So then she put her trust in God. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart. She did the only thing she knew how to do is she made a little raft, a little... A little uh, a boat out of, out of reeds. She put the baby in it, put the baby in the Nile River, and she set it out in the water in an essence of saying, God, nothing I can do, but I'm going to trust you with this child. Well, lo and behold, there's a lady over here coming down to the river to take a bath. She just happens to be Pharaoh's daughter. She's the princess. She's probably the only person on earth that can save this little baby. And she hears the sound. She has one of her nurses come and pick it. She brings the baby. And this baby's so cute. It's just giggling and going on and carrying on and doing like that. And she said, this is a beautiful baby. Well, guess who's over right over here in the corner? The baby's little sister. And she says, ma'am, 
oh ma'am, uh, would you like for me to find someone to nurse that baby for you? And she said, sure. And she went and got Moses' mother. Say, boy, that sure was lucky. She must have rubbed her rabbit's foot just right. <laughs> Nothing to do with rabbit's feet. It's the sovereignty of God. It's a God who's ordering all creation. Well, guess what happened? That mom not only raised that baby, but Pharaoh's, uh, but, uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter gave her money to raise the child. So now she's got a job and her baby. And then Pharaoh's daughter adopted this baby and named him Moses. And she sent him to the best schools in the land. He learned the language, learned everything about Moses. But one thing they didn't know is when this child turned to be an 80-year-old man, God was going to send Moses back. And Moses was going to go back to a different Pharaoh. And Moses was going to say, let my people go. And then God began to do disastrous plagues until finally they left Egypt. And they didn't leave poor. They left with the wealth of Egypt because they were fulfilling a prophecy that was given by Abraham 700 years earlier that my people will be in captivity 400 years, but they're going to leave. And when they leave, they're going to leave prosperous because I'm a God that's in control and nobody can stop me. And I'm ordering the affairs of the human race. And that, my friend is the story of Joseph and, and Moses. And you and I are part of that continuing thread. God is in control. Why don't you stand to your feet with me and we're going to have a closing song. Don't turn off just yet. I want you to just close your eyes a minute and say, Holy Spirit, now, what, what are you saying to me?